It's really about learning to identify the tools that work for you and not only that work for you, but that work for you in this time in your life. childhood educator, a yoga teacher, um, and I run a business called The Simply Well, which creates educational content around personal growth and well-being. I love it. That's kind of, that's, that's how I say it. So I guess as an educator for you teach kindergarten or second grade, right? I teach. So right now I am working with, um, individual families who have like pulled their kids out of school because of the pandemic. So I work with one-on-one with kids and in small groups. So I have kids ranging right now between ages two and five. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Do you think that that helps you with coming up with different methods and sort of thinking outside the box on how to help others who are older, right? Because we have these framework around how we were at that age. Absolutely. Well, the, a lot of the theories around the way that we learn and the way that we take in new knowledge and build our understanding of things carry through from, from when we're really young until we are older. And something that I think a lot about, um, in my work as a teacher with little kids and as you know, in the, in the wellness sphere is this idea of access points and how any given topic that we might want to talk about or think about or learn about has so many different access points depending on the person's uh, interests, their prior experiences, um, and so on. So like with a little kid, if I'm trying to teach them, uh, you know, letter names and letter sounds, if we're working on the letter M, for some kids, they might be super uh, kinesthetic and like drawing an M in the sand might be the thing that really works for them. And another kid might have, you know, a sister named Molly. So Molly is the access point into that letter. So I think that I think about that a lot with kids. And I think the same thing is true with personal growth and, and well-being. You have to find the point of entry, like the access point that, that works for you and your unique personality and interests and values and the list goes on. And I feel like that brings us right back to what we were talking about earlier with the one size does not fit all, which is so hard. And in certain practices, even like for me, I can relate when trying to teach yoga or giving advice, not not even as a, as a, someone that's hired in to help someone psychologically. Right. But as even for a friend, the same advice for one person, isn't going to work for another and looking at these theories in the classroom and especially incorporating spirituality now, which we both can relate from different spectrums, wherever you were in the beginning of how you identified with spirituality in comparison to maybe how you identify with it now after learning in the classroom. I guess framework around that too, right? Like, cause now we can implement theories 
whether we resonate or don't resonate with them to our, our thinking in the spiritual realm. Oh my gosh. I, I completely, I completely agree. I, you know, going to study spirituality at SMB and really looking at it from an academic perspective transformed the way that I see things like the way that I perceive and interpret everything. And it's, I definitely weave it into my work, even though a lot of what I do is not directly related to spirituality. Um, but, um, you know, I think that the biggest thing for me with spirituality, the biggest shift is that it going to school to learn about spirituality took a lot of these principles from being hobbies like like things that I was really interested in learning about and reading about, but I didn't really have anybody to talk to that talk to about them, or I didn't they didn't really land anywhere in my life. They were just kind of these explorations that seemed really fascinating, but didn't apply to me. It 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 took spirituality from that kind of hobby into something that has become a really foundational organizing principle in my life, and. Um, yeah, it just, it, it, it has given me this overwhelming feeling of trust, which is something that I've been able to fall back on again and again and again, especially moving through changing careers and, you know, becoming an adult and all these different, all these different life events. It's, it's become this grounding centering point now. I love that. I relate in regard to having more trust and, and something to fall back on. Spirituality doesn't need to make sense to another person, right? If it makes sense to you and your practices and whatever works best for you, works for you. Amazing. But when you do have science-based methodology behind it and having the theories to explore deeper to what you can't fully explain and you still can't fully explain some things, which is why, like how you're explaining the way, like writing it down in the sand and M like some people identify and learn through that way or identifying with Molly, the sister, like we need something physical or some sort of explanation when you're helping others learning about spirituality in the classroom and being able to have the science behind it and proof to an extent helps at least the people that I've worked with so much because we're all spiritual beings, right? I mean, I personally think, and I think that being drawn back to education and like now that you're an educator and having the ability to incorporate different methods to help others find themselves more deeply is such a cool tool to have in your toolbox. I definitely enjoy it. I, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said though, about having, again, it just comes back to these different access points and, and some might be, uh, I also really believe that we all are, are spiritual beings. And while some might, uh, be able to find that internally and might be really drawn to, you know, their intuition and feeling into things. And they might just have this automatic kind of natural draw to that. Others might, it might really benefit them to be able to look at 
studies or or all these just these different ways of being able to understand something there's no one just like there's no one right path in life there's no one right path to understanding or building a relationship with something like spirituality so having that that academic perspective is is really helpful for helping um, people come to terms with it and build a relationship with it in their own life in a way that works for them, which is really what what the whole point is anyway. Exactly. So how do you think that you, in your practices now, like what you're offering, and I love all your shares that you have on social where you, you just give it to us straight. Right. right. There's so many big words and theories and stuff behind it. But like, I think it's our job to understand what the theories are and then be able to give it in layman's terms. So I think, I guess what I'm asking for you to share to others is what do you think is your go-to method when trying to understand and, and recognize the different ways that people learn, right? Because we said one size doesn't fit all. So when you're working with a client, how do you help them figure out what route is best for them? Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe like I'm thinking right now, the, ato- the framework of atomic habits, right? Where it says, do you implement systems in order to create habit? Or I saw your five minute rule to, you know, get motivated mm-hmm. so you can get past that blank page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it really depends on the person, but I am a huge proponent of kind of two things. One being our own intuition, whether we use that word intuition, sometimes that word gets overused and it becomes a little wooey for some people, but, but something like that, whether we use intuition um, or whether we come at it from uh, scientific studies and empirical research and what tends to work for a great number of people. I think that both are really crucial to be able to have uh, research that shows what kinds of practices work for most people. So we're not just pulling things out of thin air, but then also finding a match with people with what feels right to them based on whether it is just that intuition, that inner knowing, or whether they like to take it more logically and think about what's worked for them in the past. so those are two things that I think are really important, the, the matching of the inner knowing and also the science. And then do you want to talk a little bit about the, I really love the post about the five minute rule of getting after something for five minutes. And then when you do come back to revisit, you kind of can skip that getting started part, Yes. Right? You know what, actually, when you said that, it reminded me of the other thing that I was going to say because it, it relates, but I, what you're referring to is a post I shared on my Instagram, which one of the things that I really like to do over there, because, you know, Instagram, it, it, it's really great for giving us these little bite-sized pieces of things, but it doesn't fully get, it doesn't, the platform itself doesn't allow for a really deep dive into anything. So I like to use Instagram to offer these little bite-sized tools that you can then, you know, take and use if they work for you. But um, the five minute rule is a technique. I didn't come up with it a lot. A lot of people talk about this, but it's this idea of if you're having resistance to getting started on something, because we all have things to do, work that needs to get done. And if you find yourself procrastinating or just having some type of 
fear or resistance to getting started, try the five minute rule, which says sit down and work on it for five minutes. And after those five minutes, if you want to stop, you can stop. And what people often find is that once they sit down for the five minutes, they're very easily able to keep working on it because the thing that was stopping them was that resistance to be getting started, that blank page, that, you know, needing to sit down. And once they get through those five minutes, they, they, that resistance has passed. Um, but, you know, even if after five minutes you decide, okay, actually I am, I am done, you've now at least gotten started. You've gotten past that initial, uh, that initial, point of 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 procrastination or whatever it is that blockage exactly and when you come back to it it will be easier to get back into it but what why this reminded me of what I was going to say is because when I think about what is going to work for different people I think a lot about tools and ingredients Mm -hmm. so I think of you know what for someone is an essential ingredient for their well-being, their productivity, whatever it is that they're working on and thinking about, what is an absolute essential ingredient? And a lot of times these ingredients uh, carry over from person to person. A lot of us need good sleep, you know, uh, nutritious food. Like some of these are just basic human needs. And then some of them some people might be able to get away with a little more, a little less, but identifying what the ingredients are for your success in whatever area it is that you're thinking about. And then secondly, thinking about the tools that help you with certain goals. So these tools are the things that really vary from person to person. So for one person, the five minute rule that we just talked about might be like their superpower, their like secret little uh, trick that they use to help themselves get started. And for someone else, you know, that might not be the thing that works for them. And that's okay, because there are so many different tools that we can use. And it's really about learning to identify the tools that work for you. And not only that work for you, but that work for you in this time in your life. Because a lot of the times we get ourselves stuck using certain tools that used to work for us, but now no longer do because things change, we change. So it's about finding the, the tools that, that work for you where you are now with what your current situation and goals are. I love it. That explanation was perfect. <laughs> it reminded me of <laughs> for me, the way that I, I, I identify with that. I really resonate. And I, I'm thinking back to, I can't remember what it was that I was, I was reading, but it's basically like, once you have your basic needs met, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs with the food, the sleep, etc., then you can go ahead for the goal setting. And I'm wondering your thoughts on the system methodology, because for instance, creating systems where you're going to bed on time and things like that and eating right, I think are for me personally, a positive system. But when I try to create systems where I'm going to work from 10 to two on X project, and then I'm going to do this from, and when, when I hit that blockage, sometimes if I don't take a moment to do what works for me, whether that's going for a walk you know, um, on a sunny day that works for me, but some days it's not sunny. That's out of my control. So I try to figure out something else that I can get up and do, whether it's like cleaning, throwing in a little laundry. And I think that 
one blockage that I experienced is kind of like beating myself up because I didn't take that 10 to two, if I am creating a system where it's like, I wasn't productive and, and you start to get in like the shaming route, right. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think that there's, there's healthy guilt, right. But like guilt is the, the, the good emotion to go through to, you know, how to help you motivate you, but shame, not so much. So I guess, do you think that the system methodology is, is a positive factor to implement? And when do you think maybe it's not so much again from person to person? I totally understand. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great question. And it fits in with the, the topic that I've been really focused on and researching for the past half year or so, which is goal setting. And I became very fascinated with goal setting because I found myself in a place where I either was getting super, super internal and um, reflective, uh, which in a lot of ways is a really great thing, but you know, they say, what is it that the dose is what makes the poison? It's not the, you know, it, too much of anything can, can kind of go astray. So I found myself either in that sort of place or, or in a place where I was really like hustling and forcing myself to get things done and really strict with myself. And I was kind of, um, like oscillating between these two different places and could not find a happy medium. So I've been thinking and researching and talking to people and reading books and studies all about goal setting and trying to explore questions like some of the ones that you were just saying about like, how do we know when a goal or a system for our, for our life is in alignment with us? Or how do we know when it's time to you know, if we're feeling some type of resistance or exhaustion or something, how do we know when it's time to like lock in and really commit versus when it's time to ease up and let go a little bit? How do routines serve us? How does novelty serve us? How do we, you know, use both of those things when we're building these, these systems for our life? And how does it vary from person to person? So I don't know that I have any perfect answers to this. Um, but it's, it's something that I'm researching a lot right now and planning to, to create, um, an offering from all of this research. But one thing that I really like to do is to think about the idealized self versus the realistic self. And most of us have both of these images of ourselves in our minds, the idealized self, which is the version of us that oftentimes we are striving towards. It's the version that might, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're striving for, whether it's to like get up earlier or to always um, eat the foods that you want to be eating or, um, <laughs> you know, it, it really depends on what your values are. But a lot of us have this, this person that we envision our future self being. And then we have the realistic version of ourselves, which are is messy and um, amazing and in so many in so many different ways, but it's more realistic. And oftentimes when we're setting up these systems and goals for our lives, we set them with our idealized self in mind. So we think, okay, I'm gonna 
for me, it used to be, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day and do my whole long morning routine. And it's going to set me up for success. And I'm going to feel so aligned and energized. And the reality is that some days I found myself uh, a little bit closer to that vision of that idealized self. And I was able to follow through on that system I had tried to implement. But most days I was more my, my real self and that system didn't quite align with me. So I really like the idea of coming up with kind of a flexible plan. So if you're trying to incorporate a new habit, have two or maybe even three versions of the habit, you know, like some days you might be able to do the full yoga, uh, you know, 45 minute yoga routine and other days, maybe it's like a literally two minute stretch, but being able to find some version of whatever it is that you want to implement in your life that will work for the different versions of you. Maybe you have a really like crappy day version that you do when you're really not feeling well. And it's like two stretches that take 10 seconds, but just something that can help you stay consistent and have that little win in your mind, that little hit of dopamine, like, okay, I did the thing. I'm staying consistent with what I said I was going to do, but we're allowing for the self to, to embody these different versions, which, you know, change changes day to day. Um, so that's, that's one of the conclusions that I've come to with this goal setting research, but my plan is to continue to study this for the next couple of months and then, and then put together something that hopefully will be, uh, will be helpful. I love it. I can't wait for that offering. I'm already (laughs) trying to think in my head of the different um, versions I could give myself because I think that when I do like yoga was a perfect example that I can relate to because on the days that I don't do it, when I lay down in bed, I'm like, I think of the different moments when I could, I should myself, I start shooting myself, Mm -hmm. which is not good. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't say not good, but it doesn't, it's, it's not beneficial for me. Um, so you know, doing that two minute stretch and being able to say like, you know, you did it. And I, I say this when I'm teaching my motivational verbiage that comes out is you never feel bad for giving your all right. So like when we're coming to the end of the set and I see people starting to give up, I'm like, guys, you'll never, ever, ever regret doing two more, right? Five more seven yeah. years or five more seconds. So when I, I really am going to try to think of different versions that I could give myself because we're human, right? We're, we're spiritual beings living the human experience. And when we have this idealistic self, then don't leave the room for human error and to be you and who you are. It's kind of like you're, you're taking away some of your experience by not giving yourself that, that window of error to, to not even error, but window to, to be like, maybe your friends in town or, or maybe you had a weird intuitive feeling that on the times that I feel like I should go for a walk, there's been times where I'm having like the crappiest day and I'm like, just go outside, like go for a walk, get yourself out of this space that you're in because physically removing yourself helps one and two, I'll run into someone and it's like a day maker where you have like a two minute conversation that just totally removed yourself from that box that you placed yourself in because you allowed for that, that human experience. I also find that walks tend to just totally change whatever mood or energy I'm stuck in. But, but I, I 
agree with what you're saying, which is that being able to find a version of these different habits or routines or rituals that is going to allow us to carry carry them through, even if it's a a, a different version of it than than we might otherwise do, helps us just get enough of a shift that then we can bring ourselves into a different state of being because it's easy to get stuck. And when we get stuck and don't, uh, you know, practice the yoga, if that's our thing, or go for a walk, then that's when the resistance often builds up too. And I think a lot of the missing factors that we have sometimes is like, like you were saying how sometimes an old practice or system that you implemented in your life might not work now. And then you start questioning why, and, and maybe again, start shooting yourself, but you know, incorporating the emotions or the experience that you had that day or anything that can disrupt your system. That's extremely, extremely important. And I have to remind myself that like, sometimes when you're sad or angry and you try to meditate to get out of that space, like the thing that I've learned most about emotions and processing and having one system, right? You got to, sometimes you just got to sit with it. Like you're blocked. Sometimes you just got to sit with the blockage and, and, and take in that, like nothing, this isn't working for me today and take yeah. it, maybe come back and it'll work later. But I think just the acceptance factor and for sure, you know, making moves and trying to, to get out of it. One, one thing my boyfriend told me, and I totally do this now that he said it at first, I was like, okay, like you're doing the not spiritual bypass, but positive psychology. Sometimes we, we tend to, you know, focus too hot on the highs, mm-hmm. but he'll say when I'm, <laughs> when I'm cranky or something like just smile, force yourself to smile because your mind and body connection it really, there's science behind like smiling when you're in a bad mood to get you out of that shift. And before I knew the science and research behind it, I'm like, okay, like we're doing a spiritual bypass thing where it's like smile and it'll work. But for me, even having that knowledge in my brain tricks it in itself into thinking like I can get out of this mood. So I try that sometimes to see if that works as well. But again, right. It's, it's again, it's, Yeah, it's having these different tools at our disposal. And sometimes it might be just sitting in the discomfort of whatever challenging emotion it is. And then sometimes it might be smiling and just kind of bringing yourself into a different place and letting, letting, you know, the other stuff kind of lift. But again, it's like collecting, I like to think of it as a literal toolbox and just collecting these different little tools and trying them out and finding the ones that work more for us in different moments and being willing to experiment and, you know, not, not be so stuck on, on there being one specific way that we have to experience something. It's kind of like, think of all the data that you collect amongst the people that you surround yourself with, right? Like the people that make you feel good, that don't make you feel good. Things that maybe triggered you have enough self-compassion and love for yourself to collect data about yourself, right? Because that's how Mm -hmm. you learn what tools to have. Totally. Yeah. It was talking to my, my partner, who's a lefty recently, and we were talking about lefty scissors and, you know, if you are a lefty and you're using, uh, 
righty scissors, but you don't know that lefty scissors exist. You might kind of feel like something's off. You're trying to put them in your left hand and they don't quite feel right, but it can be helpful to, you know, whether it's through reading research or through learning through, you know, social media content or whether it's, you know, working with, with somebody who has studied this stuff um, or just journaling and working with yourself, whatever it is, bringing attention to it, to, to helping to find the right tool so that you're not stuck in a place where something just feels kind of off, but you're, you don't quite know how to identify it. So yes, I, I agree that can, it can be really helpful to, to get outside your little bubble and, and, you know, hear new perspectives and, and figure out what, what kinds of tools you can collect in your toolbox that'll work for you, whether it's, you know, lefty scissors or whatever. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And for anyone listening, it's at Amanda Simply Well on Instagram, yes. right? Yes. And your offerings is. are on there. Um, anyone who's feeling any sort of curiosity around staying consistent in personal growth should come your way and, and, and stay in touch. Can you, can they, where would you want them to? I'd love to connect with anybody who is interested in, you know, habit change, goal setting, personal development, anything like that. But um, yeah, they can find me at Amanda simply well on Instagram. You can also email me um, Amanda at the simplywell.com. And my website is the simplywell.com. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about that goal setting course that I was explaining that I'm currently in the process of researching and talking to people about, um, you can go to the simplywell.com slash courses and uh, put in your email and I'll let you know when, when something is, when I have more information about exactly what that is going to turn into. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I am so glad to see your face.